Well, today we are continuing our Relate series. Um, it's got a slightly different, sorry, I don't know what the hair's doing, but um, it's got a slightly different focus today, and in Gorgi and in Leith, we're looking at slightly different but complementary sermons. So today we're going to be looking at the concept of biblical femininity and looking at Proverbs 31. Paul over in Gorgi is going to be speaking on biblical masculinity um, from the wisdom book. So I encourage you, whether female or male, when that message gets uploaded during the week, have a listen to that as well. And hopefully they'll be complimentary. So before we start this message, I have a confession to make. Um, I am normally quite an amiable person. I like most people. I get on with people. I don't often have conflicts or find reasons to dislike people. But as a grown woman, I've struggled with Proverbs 31 woman. I've sometimes really, really disliked her. I've sometimes resented her. I've sometimes wished she wasn't in the Bible. As a teenager, it was slightly different. I am of the Spice Girl generation. Age 11, if you want to be my lover, came out. And so my teenage years were filled with girl power. And when I read Proverbs 31 as a teenager, I was like, yes, excellent. See, she's a mum, but she also works. She's in the commerce business. She's making money. Yeah, girls can do everything. Girl power. But as an adult, realizing the weight of the responsibility of all that this lady does, I'm like, God, I cannot be that woman. She feeds my insecurities and sense of inadequacy. Sometimes I don't like her very much. And I know, probably, for a lot of you, that that's the case. And actually, if we've never read the Bible and sometimes struggled with it, we're lying. But if we read Proverbs 31, and it results in pride because of girl power, or it results in a sense of insecurity or inadequacy, we have not read the Bible right. Because the Bible, as 1 Timothy talks about, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And in a conflicting world where we're given conflicting messages of what it is to be a woman and a girl, where it goes from something as shallow as what mascara you wear and the height of the heels you wear and the size of your waist to even denying our femininity and saying, no, that's just a social construct. We're all the same. To, if you want to make it in the world, you've got to act like a man. Don't be a girl. Don't be wussy. Don't have emotions. In this world where we are told so much, quite frankly, rubbish about what it is to be feminine and to be a woman, we need to hold on to the eternal truth that is God's word. And so we're going to start this message with prayer because we need the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So that Proverbs 31 is not meant to condemn women. It's not meant to condemn men. And also where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there is freedom from sense of inadequacy. And there is a freedom to be the woman or the man that you were made to be. God delights in womanhood. He made women. He made us in his image. 
and he made you a woman if you are a woman and he delights in your femininity and in your womanhood so let's pray God, um, this is a big topic. This, in some, some places, is a controversial topic. But, God, I just give this message over to you. Holy Spirit, impart truth. Impart freedom. Impart freedom from condemnation, sense of inadequacy. Um, grant freedom from pride. God, I pray that if there is a spirit of pride or rebellion, that we repent. God, I pray, Father, that if there's people that don't know you, that they come to know you as well. Because you are good, and you are gracious, and you know us, and you delight in us. Whether we are male or female, you delight in us, because we've been made in your image, and your son came to this earth, died, and rose again for us. So God, move today. Holy Spirit, impart truth, freedom, hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to read Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 31. It's often titled, The Woman Who Fears the Lord, or An Excellent Wife, or A Valiant Woman. So an excellent wife, or in some other versions, a virtuous, valiant woman, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is more, more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him no harm. She does him good, sorry, and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. Can move this way. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle, which is a kind of spinning wheel of its time. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow, for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet or double-thick fabric. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works be let's, let her works praise her in the gates. So first of all, before we start, I want to start with what Proverbs 31 is not about. Firstly, Proverbs 31 is not about what we do. 
When we read that passage, it can sometimes feel and sound like a list of to-dos. God does not care. Well, he does care. But God does not love you because of what you do. If we took that literally, then we all had to start getting dressmaking courses, start learning how to spin wool. But it's a different time, a different culture, and God's word still applies. But it's not about what we do. God knows who you are. He knows your age and stage of life. He knows your physical health. He knows the stresses that are going on. He knows if you have children or elderly parents or work is really busy. He knows what your capacity is. And our capacity varies depending on who we are. Do not compare what you do to the Proverbs 31 woman. Do not compare what you do to somebody else. Because your capacity is different in the way that God has made you. So when we look at Proverbs 31, we do not look at what she does, but we look at how she does it and the attitude in which she does the tasks that she puts her hands to. And another point to make in this is that God does not choose us because of what we do. Religion says behave, perform, do better, strive. But the gospel says be and be accepted. In my Bible readings this week, I've read 1 Timothy and Titus, and it says, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. But when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. God is not so much interested in what you do. He is interested in who you are. And I also have to say about this woman as well, I'm aware I can't really walk this way. Oh, can I? Yes. Um, This cultural context, we can't, is a very different scene. So we look at this list and we go, flipping heck, she's doing loads. But it's different. At this place and this time, there wasn't the work-home divide that we see now. Industry happened at home. Work happened at home. Farming happened at home. So her husband, even though he was sometimes at the gates, he also would have been home working because it was the same place. So dad, husband, was there alongside her, also instructing her children. She also had maids. She had help. Women, we are allowed to ask for help. It is not ungodly. Proverbs 31 is not a superwoman. I have found reading. It does not say she washed the dishes. It does not say she washed the clothes. It does not say she washed or she cooked every meal. She washed the window. She scrubbed the floors. No, she had help. And it is okay, women, not to be able to do everything. Thank you. (laughs) It is also, secondly, it is not about our personality. Now, God has gifted each of us a different personality. And sometimes, yes, sin can warp that and make it not good. But God's gift to you is your personality. And our gift to us is your personality as well. Character, however, can be built upon. So we don't learn much about this woman's personality. We don't know what made her laugh, even though she laughed about tomorrow. We don't know what really annoyed her and irked her and wound her up. We don't know what things she really found pretty and, you know, all of these things. We don't know that because we don't know her personality. But we do know her character. 
And that is something we can learn from. Thirdly, it is not about being married and having children. The Proverbs 31 woman is married and she has children because that back then, that's what women did. Simple ass. But again, because it's not about personality, it's not about what she does, it's not about sort of the specifics, it's about the general character and the wisdom that she has. It can be applied to women of all ages, all stages, and men as well. Proverbs deals in character types, where it says, look, this is a woman, this is how wisdom is applied. But actually, this wisdom can be applied to different situations as well. And lastly... And most importantly, Proverbs 31 is not about being perfect. So many women read this and think, flip, I cannot live up to that. I am not perfect. She seems, she comes across as a bit of a Mary Poppins character, that when you take the tape measure off, oh, practically perfect in every way. I am not Mary Poppins. I know when you spread out the tape measure to six foot tall and say Judith Dara, it does not say practically perfect in every way. But yet this poem is not a real woman. We have to remember this. You know, if we took things literally, the poor girl would never sleep because it says she's up until late and gets up when it's still night. People need to sleep. But Proverbs 31 is an acrostic poem. It is a woman potentially teaching her son what is good in a woman. And it takes the Hebrew alphabet, and from their equivalent of A to Z, she goes through it, saying this is what a godly, good wife looks like. Son, look for this. And so as most of us will know, if we've ever sat down and done an acrostic poem about somebody, because I'm sure we did it at school, you don't write about the things she's not good at or the person's not good at. You kind of go quite sublime and they're the best and wonderful. And actually in my sermon prep, I sat down and I wrote some acrostics and I forgot to bring them so I can't share them with you. But as I wrote acrostics about some of you, <laughs> you know what? I celebrated you because that's what poetry does. I celebrated your strengths and your beauties and your wisdom and the way that you delight in God and in your faith and in your perseverance because those are the things we're celebrating. And so this is what Proverbs 31 does. It celebrates what is good in a godly woman. And that is what God does when he looks at you. He celebrates what is good in you. He doesn't stand there with a checklist going, oh, well, she's failed on that today. No, she, he celebrates. And this poem, this acrostic poem, is celebrating the character and the strength of a godly woman. So its purpose is not to lead us to despair, for us to strive more in perfectionism, or for us to negatively compare ourselves. But the purpose is to aspire and to inspire us. So think of her as your best friend. Think of her as somebody who you love and who you know loves you. So that actually can go, wow, I really love that characteristic in her. God, help me grow in that. It doesn't mean I do as she does. It doesn't mean I am the same as her. But God, help me to grow. So just, just as I look at Kate and I go, God, I would love to be hospitable like Kate. Help me be hospitable. 
Or if I look at Irene and be like, God, help me be a woman of faith like Irene. Or Sammy and her joy. Or Lorna and her wisdom. Or Emily in the way that she hears God. I don't look at them and feel condemned, but I feel inspired because they inspire me to be more like God, be more the woman that I've been made to be. And blokes, this is also for you. Some of the things that we're going to talk about can apply to you. But also, you know what? You're surrounded by women. You know, some of you are married to a woman. Some of you are raising daughters. Some of you have friends and sisters, and if not physical sisters, spiritual sisters, who actually God has placed you in their lives so that you can encourage them. In a world that tears us down, why not make a difference and build us up? And women likewise do the same to the men. There's so much criticism, so much tearing us down and tearing us up that actually the church needs to be a place of encouragement and inspiration where we build each other up and encourage each other on. So Proverbs 31 is for us all. And when praying about this message, and God, what do you want to say to these women, to these men? Because you know what, Destiny, Edinburgh women? You were doing good. You were doing all right. You were doing great. And your God loves you. So, what does this godly woman look like? I've called this message the God-dependent woman because the Proverbs 31 woman brings with it all the thoughts that people think of when they think of her. But actually, this is the foundation of everything that she is. Everything that God celebrates in this woman all depends on her dependency on God. So number one, the Proverbs 31 woman fears the Lord. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Beauty is vain. It's like vapor that disappears. You know, our bodies, our faces change with age and we're still beautiful, but the definitions of beauty can change. I almost remember overnight as a teenager going from when girls were desperate to have no bottoms. The question was, does my bum look big in this? So all of a sudden, J-Lo was on the scene, and we're all doing squats like crazy. So beauty and the definite, you're laughing, folks don't get it. But you're laughing because it's true. Overnight, beauty's different. Big bottom girls rejoice. Before, the not big bottom girls rejoice. You know, beauty changes. It changes depending on culture, age, fashion. It is fleeting. It is like vapor. But you know what does not change? is the beauty that comes from knowing God. The foundation of who this woman is and the foundation of her wisdom is the fact that she fears the Lord. And the writer of Proverbs brings Proverbs full circle. In Proverbs 1.7, it starts with, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. She depended on God, and so she was wise. Her beauty came from knowing God. Now, the fear of the Lord isn't being afraid. 
When we read Proverbs 31, lady, we do not get the sense of a woman who is cowering in the corner, afraid that God is going to smite her, condemn her, tell her off, tell her she's not good enough, tell her, keep working harder, earn this salvation, earn this grace. She is not afraid of God, but instead this woman, there's a confidence about her. There's a freedom about her to live godly way because she fears the Lord in the right way. She's not fearful. She's not paralyzed. She's not striving for perfectionism. This fear is a positive thing. The NIV calls it reverence. And one commentator says, there is a good reason why the NIV chooses to use the word reverence, to speak of that fear that is godly fear, a proper fear. That fear is the rich convergence of awe in the presence of eternal God, the creator of the universe, the holy lawgiver, the righteous judge, and the merciful savior, and a consciousness of being in his presence every moment. There is a convergence of awe, reverence, adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, and love, and yes, fear. This fear acknowledges that God has good intentions, This fear is molded by God's word. And this fear makes her receptive to wisdom and knowledge. This woman knows who God is. And she knows that who she is in God. She is not fearful, but she is in fearful reverence of him. Her life reflects the perfect balance of knowing God's perfect, um, of reverent fear and then knowing God's perfect love. Her life balances knowledge of his lordship and his kingship and his majesty, but also that he's a father and his grace and his love and his kindness. Her life balances our submission to him as his servants, but also our joy in being his children. Commentators, when talking about this fear of the Lord, often refer to Psalm 130, Verses 3 to 4, which says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And the reality is that without Jesus, none of us could. Because God is judge. God is holy. God is king. God is Lord, that he sits on his throne above all things, that he is righteous, that he is holy, that he is perfect, and he cannot allow sin to enter his presence. So yes, there is a reason to fear God at times. And if you don't know Jesus, come to know him, because God does see your sin in that situation, and you cannot stand before him. But the good news is, is that there is forgiveness so that we can reverence, serve him. Perfect sort of reverent fear, acknowledging God as judge, as holy, as king, as Lord, but also acknowledging his perfect love. That God didn't want to see you condemned, so he sent his son. So that Jesus lived the perfect life, walked this earth, went to the cross, died that death, rose again so that your sin could be dealt with, the stuff that separates you from God, completely broken, so that when God looks at you, 
He does not see your sin, but he sees a woman who is more precious than jewels. That your sin is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. He is the perfect judge, the perfect Lord, but he's the perfect Father who in love makes a way for you to know him. So Proverbs 31 women, revere your king, revere your Lord in awe of what he has done for you. Submit your lives to him. Live for him. Be molded by his word. Be molded by his spirit. Be transformed more into the woman that he has made you to be. But also acknowledge that you are a daughter of the Most High King and that when he looks at you, he sees a woman who is more precious than jewels. It does not take doing the to-do list in Proverbs 31. It just takes being a woman that fears the Lord. Proverbs 14:27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19:23. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. In your king, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is satisfaction, there is freedom from fear. And he accepts you just as you are. You always get these really like fancy quotes on Pinterest. And I said it right, I normally call it Pinterest. But one of them, talking about Proverbs 31, says, True beauty emanates from a woman who boldly and unabashedly knows who she is in Christ. If you know Jesus, you are a Proverbs 31 woman. Whether you know how to spin wool or not, whether you have kids or not, whether you have a husband or not, you are a Proverbs 31 woman and you are more precious than jewels. That is what your king says about you. Secondly, because she is a woman that fears the Lord, and this is the foundation of everything else, her love of Jesus Knowing that she is loved by Jesus, knowing her identity in Christ, everything else flows from this. So it is not a legalistic to-do list, but it's something that will flow from you as you bask in the truth of what God says about you. So two, she lives without fear for tomorrow. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. John Piper Um, when talking about Proverbs 31, touches on this, and he says that Satan dangles the specter of tomorrow's fear in the faces of women. We fear what is coming. We fear judgment. We fear condemnation. If you listen to the media all the time, we've got a heck of a lot of fear. But we've got no need to fear. We can look forward to tomorrow because we know who holds our tomorrow. This woman knows a God who will provide for her needs. She knows a God who casts out the wrong sort of fear. So yes, she's in reverent awe of him, but it means she no longer has to fear what the world says, the expectations people place on her, that she might not match up, that she might not wear the right clothes, that she might not have the right figure, that she might not be, I don't know what we're expected to be, but she doesn't need to fear that because she is loved by Almighty God. She does not fear for tomorrow. There's that old gospel song, which I think is really lovely. And it says, because he lives, 
I confess tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. We confess tomorrow because we know him who holds our future. Proverbs 31, women, you do not need to fear. And as a result of that lack of fear, you don't need to cower, you don't need to hide, but you can stand up straight and clothe yourself with strength and dignity. That dignity in the Hebrew is like a necklace, like an ornament she wears on her neck in splendor, in honor, in majesty. You can hold your head up high with no fear for tomorrow because your king holds your future. Thirdly, she lives for others. Because she does not need to prove herself, because she doesn't need to fight for self-worth, she can live a life of godly self-forgetfulness, which isn't denying her needs. She clothes herself in fine linen. She acknowledges that she's got strength. But it does mean she doesn't have to live for herself anymore, but she lives for others. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm, and all the days of her life, all the, and all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchants and brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for the household and portions for the maidens. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out to the hands of the needy. She opens her mouth with, with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Elizabeth Elliot, who died um, June, I just found out, was a lady who was a wife of a missionary. She went with him, so actually she was a missionary too, um, to quite a dangerous native tribe in America. Was it, where were they? I can't remember where they were. And he ended up getting killed. But she's become a prolific Christian writer and has imparted much wisdom to women through many different ages and generations. And she writes about women. She was a staunch defender of biblical femininity. This is what she says. To me, a lady is not a frilly, flouncy, flippant, frivolous, and fluff-brained thing. But she is gentle. She is gracious. She is godly. And she is giving. The more womanly we are, the more God is glorified. She is giving. She follows the example of her servant king, Jesus, who served. He came as king, God Almighty, but yet he washed feet. He got mucky feet, walking this earth, healing people, telling them the truth, giving dignity to women in a culture that did not give dignity to women accepting women as disciples in a culture that said women could not learn, having women um, as witnesses in a culture where women could not stand in a court of law. This Jesus who came to serve, she follows his example. Others' welfare is of importance to her. In verse 12, when it says she does good, it means she cares about his benefit about their welfare, about their happiness, their prosperity. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her family, because she's been given a family, are her priority, and so they do not go without because she serves them. She honors her husband so that at the gates he is honored as well. She works hard, therefore, and she works diligently. She puts her hands to the whatever you call it and does whatever the technical term is. 
that because she's motivated by love, not because she has to, but because of love, it's not a burden. She loves, she works hard, she puts her hand to the plow, so to speak. And in this, she is also outward looking. You know, there's a culture, um, maybe not so much in the church, I don't know, but there's a culture of yummy mumminess at the moment, isn't there? Where your children are a prize and a trophy to display, and you all wear jewels and other posh things. And basically, your whole life is centered in your house, in your family nucleus, and it's about looking the best, being the best, um, you know, have a everything's organic and gluten-free and, you know, you're putting in cakes to the village fair and all really good stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe not the jewels, um, but the home baking, great. But there seems to be a culture of that yummy mumminess where it's all about us. It doesn't go out of the four walls. But yet this woman, she reopens her hands to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She doesn't just care about what happens within her own four walls. She cares about people outside her four walls who are suffering, who are in need, who need to know about God and God's love as well. She cares for the poor and she cares for the needy. And she imparts to others as well. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So because God is in her life, because she is a woman that fears the Lord, her heart is being transformed. God is imparting wisdom to her. She is being molded. And what you get then is an impression of a woman out of the overflow of what God is doing in her, is imparting this wisdom to others. So yes to her children, yes to her maids, yes to her husband, yes to those outside the home that need to hear. She imparts wisdom. This woman invests in others practically, spiritually, and generously, but firstly because of what God has done in her. So who are you investing in? Men, who are you investing in? Who are you living for? Women, who are we living for? Yes, live for God. Yes, live for your family. But who are you living for? Single women, don't use our singleness That's an excuse for selfishness. God is still calling you to live for others like your servant king. Married women with babies, don't get so caught up in your own little world that you forget that there is a world outside that needs the love and needs the wisdom that God has given you. Who are you living for? Because God has done so much for you and so much in you that it just flows out. And remember, dads, as well, as mums investing and imparting wisdom, in this culture, dad was there as well. So this isn't your excuse. Look, Proverbs 31, she does all the teaching. Dad is there imparting wisdom as well. And her heart attitude in all of this is willingness. We can do, we can live for others with a very, very hard heart. Oh, God, do this. But a heart that is transformed by God that knows that service is linked with love. She does it willingly, verse 13, and she works with willing hands. NESB says she works with her hands in delight. In the NIV, it talks about eager hands. She's willingly serving because she knows a God that served her, that love sense, so she can love freely and willingly and eagerly with delight. And that's a challenge 
um, to those of us that grew up in a culture where feminism was molding it to say domestic duties are a terrible thing, they are oppressive to women. To serve other people is oppressive to you and is above you, do not do it. Because that was a bit of the Spice Girl culture. You know, girls rule, it was a time where we wore t-shirts that said boys rubbish, throw rocks at them and things like that. That is not a biblical attitude. God has given us work to do, whether domestic, whether it's commercial, whether it's in the workplace, to bless others, and it is good. It is not to be despised. So what I've been praying for myself, and I pray for you, is that the Holy Spirit unpicks perhaps the subtle ways culture has influenced the way that we think about femininity. I think I've possibly been impacted by the feminist idea that a woman, you know, the domestic duties are oppressive. Maybe, but the Holy Spirit unpicks that as I submit myself to God's word and actually delight in the work that God has given my hand. Fourthly, she is strong. And we're going to just watch a little video before we crack on. Have you ever been told because you're a girl that you should not do something? Yes. Mm-hmm. All the time. All the time. It's a, it's a constant. People think that girls are supposed to be all happy and la-di-da, you know? It'd be kind of traditional, like, don't do something too challenging. I can't really, like, rescue anybody. Like, it's always, like, the boys who rescue the girls in the stories. I want you to go grab one of those boxes over there. This represents your limitation. So I'd like you to write on each one, one of the things that you said. started holding back and not trying things out as much and just it limited who I was. I quit trumpet, I quit basketball, I quit wrestling. I, I, I told myself that I should stop if I'm not good. And did you quit? For a week. <laughs> and then what happened? I proved them wrong by trying harder to get better. I tried to uh, behave what other people want me to behave and then I found that works horrible. <laughs> so I said, okay, no more. What do you want to do with that box? I really want to break this box or maybe explode it or something. <laughs> Kick him? Go for it. Wait, are you serious? I think that you need to keep going with whatever you love to do and do anything you want. You conquer any fear you've had and just live your dream and do whatever you want to do. And that's why I love the word unstoppable. 
this is what some of the world speaks over us. That we are weak, that we talk too much. It gets me every time, this clip, it makes me cry. <laughs> but my tears are a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. And by showing this clip and by making this point, I am not, I make a, I get a bit nervous about making this point, even though it comes straight from the word of God, being a woman, sharing it. Because the danger is that somebody might turn around and go, ooh, is that not a bit of a feminist agenda? Are you not saying, are you saying that, um, are you saying women are the same as men? No, I am not saying that, and neither is the Bible. The Bible makes very, very, very clear that there's no such thing as gender neutrality. We've been made men, we've been made women, we've been made in the image of God, equal yet different, with different roles. The Bible says that we are the weaker vessel, and yes, we are physically weaker in some ways. Well, we are, just tend to be physically weaker. But guys and women, that does not make us weak. Women, you are strong. Verse 17 says she dresses herself with strength and she makes her arms strong. A godly woman, because she knows the God who has created her, has an amazing strength. And this strength, it isn't just it's physical as well. The Hebrew talks about a physical strength. We are allowed to be strong. And as that video clip showed, is that culture says to us that we can't be strong, that we are weak, that we are overly emotional, that we can't achieve, that we need to be quiet. And the studies after studies saying, because of these subtle things being communicated in culture, that is holding women back from being what God has made them to be. I love that little girl that says, I want to rescue people. Yes, we are not the saviour, but God has given us a, miss a mission to share a message that does rescue people. And he's given that mission to women as well as men. And it's not just secular culture that does this, but this is a bugbear as I've grown up as a teenager. I've read Christian books that have made this point that seems to make out that Christian women are meant to wear pearls and twin sets and sit quietly at the side of the room in silence. That her submission, her biblical submission, is transformed into a passivity and the weakness that God has not called us to be. I remember reading a book that said, well, if you look at all the art through the ages, there's so many um, paintings like Titian's Venus of women lounging naked for the world to appreciate her beauty. Why is that? It's because God's just made us to be beautiful and to be appreciated for our beauty. And I'm thinking, what? One, do they know their art history? Two, have they read their Bible? Yes, you know what, I like pretty things. And yes, I do want to be a princess. But I want to be a strong princess that's been seen in the Bible. Where are the books that talk about Deborah who led an army on behalf of a god? Where are the books that talk about Jael that in the name of God put a tent peg in somebody's head? Don't do that. Where are the books that talk about the strength of Mary? 
who despite the fact that she was an unwed mother in a society that would have killed her, said yes to God, giving her the Son of God. Where are the books that talk about her strength when she saw her baby grow into the son, the man that is the Son of God, that saw her baby boy being put on a cross, being nailed to death, dying and raising again, because Mary, in her quiet way, was strong. So were those women that stood at the cross at Jesus' feet. So were those women that went to his tomb. Women, the Bible says you were strong. That you are strong, yes, physically, not as much as men, but you are strong emotionally and you are strong spiritually as well. You are strong. She dresses herself and makes her arms strong. So fathers raising children, raising girls, let them know that they are strong in God, that they are not to be weak. Women, as culture says we should, that it's not about being delicate all the time, but that God in him makes us strong. Writing about Elizabeth Elliot, somebody says, both the anti-feminist and the anti-delicate flower, she taught what I came to think of as the third way of womanhood that seemed like Ruth and that of Proverbs 31 woman with her strong arms, her shrewdness and nurturing. Strength does not deny femininity. Strength is part of godly femininity. Joshua Harris, when talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, says that she's not a wilting woman, but she's valiant and courageous, throwing herself into life. And John Piper, this makes me, if it makes you feel better, John Piper makes this point as well. Women are strong. The amplified version of verse 17 says she girds herself with strength, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness for her God-given task and makes her arms strong and firm. She girds herself. So girding is used throughout the Bible. Ephesians were told to gird our loins with the belt of truth. In 1 Peter, it talks about girding our minds. When Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, God said, get up, gird your loins, go. Girding was something he did when you were ready for action. So the blokes, as well as the girls, wore long robes that flowed to the floor. And if you've ever seen Brits paddling at the seaside, this is what women do. Okay? Maybe some of you haven't seen this. But you get your skirt, you pull it forward from the back, and you tuck it into your belt. So in sense, you've got shorts. You're no longer restricted by the flappy bit of fabric. Try it next time you're paddling. But in the Bible, they did it when they were preparing for war. They did it when they were ready for action. And so what God is saying about a godly woman is that she is strong and that she is ready for action for her God-given task. Whether her God-given task is raising babies, whether it's being in the workplace, whether it's being a wife, whether it's being an amazing friend, whether it's praying for an unsaved friend or an unsaved colleague, that this woman girds herself in strength. She's prepared for God's will on her life. Women, God says you are strong. This doesn't mean you're invincible. It doesn't mean you can never cry. It doesn't mean you're sometimes not weak or feel it. But even in your weakness, you are strong because you depend on a God who is strong and who makes you strong. 
So God makes you strong. You have strength. You have wisdom. And as a result of her strength, this woman has a confidence. She considers a field and she buys it. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She looks at the works of her hands and she trusts that it is good. How many of us get to the end of the day, look back and go, wow, God, we did good today. How many of us instead look and go, oh, yeah, that was all right, but look at all that rubbish stuff. She was able to look at the work she did because she was so secure in who she was in God and she was able to appreciate the good. She trusted her wisdom because she knew it came from God. So my final point is this. Celebrate her. Men, women, celebrate godly women. Celebrate the women in this church that are Proverbs 31 women. Verses 28 to 29 say, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Praise her, encourage her, exalt what is godly and good in the women around you. John Piper on his sermon on Proverbs 31 makes this a huge point. Celebrate what God delights in. Psalm 37 says delight in the Lord. And that means delighting what he delights in. And he delights in godly women. He delights in the women in this church who build their life on him, who have strength because of him, who have dignity and hope for tomorrow because of him. Celebrate them. John Piper says, don't get hooked on criticism, but get hooked on praise. In a culture that is so negative, let us build one another up. So men, celebrate your women. This husband does not compare his wife to others and says, well, love, her curry's a little bit nicer than yours. That's not what Michelle does to me, sorry. Curry was the first thing that came to. Since marrying an Indian, I've not cooked a curry. <laughs> Too scared. Um, but you know what he does? He looks at her and says, you are the best. Let your wife, let the women being in your life be the best women you know. Not because you're picking at them, not because you're saying, oh, love, you need to work on that but because you see the good in her and you celebrate the good in her. And you know what that does? That encourages her to grow and flourish and change in the areas that she does need to grow and flourish in. And girls do the same to you men. Let's not tear men down in a culture where actually people say a lot of horrible things. So let us build one another up. I want you all to do some homework. So men, married men, men with sisters and girls that are friends, I want you to go home and I want you to do an acrostic poem. Okay? To Jordan, you write Jodie down the side and start each line of praise with a letter from her name. Michael, Lizette. I tried doing one with Lizette. It's quite hard when it gets to the double T. Not because it's hard to praise Lizette, but just coming up with good things beginning with T. So totally lovable is she, I think, and zealous. Zealous for God is your wife. So do that, so do it for your friends. 
do it for each other, write an acrostic poem. And seriously, it sounds silly, but I bet she keeps that piece of paper for the rest of her life. And it'll encourage her and it'll build her up. And girls, you know what? Do it for, you. Do it for the blokes as well. Michelle's quite a hard name to do an acrostic for, but I did, I did try. I haven't shared it with him yet. Um, it might need a bit of work. But I want to encourage you, Destiny Church, Edinburgh. Let us be a family of encouragement to each other. Let us celebrate our genders and our femininity and our masculinity. Let's encourage us. Because you know what? Destiny Church, Edinburgh women, you're flipping amazing. You are so strong. You are so filled with faith. You have such such good sense of humor that you make me laugh. You inspire me. You challenge me to move on with my faith. Destiny Edinburgh women, you were great. And God says that you are more precious than jewels. So let us celebrate femininity. Let us celebrate the Proverbs 31 woman. She is not our enemy. She's our friend because she encourages us to be all that God has called us to be. Those that fear the Lord. Yeah. A woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. So women, acknowledge who you are in God. Live in that. And I don't say this, you know, there's lots of messages for women. And sometimes they feel a bit fluffy um, and a bit girly. But actually, this is a battle. Sometimes when people say positive things to us, we just let it wash over us and we keep focusing on the negative. But actually, it takes really hard work to live in the reality of who you are in Christ. You are a woman of God and you are worthy of praise. And women, those of you that don't know him, come to know him. Because God is a good God. He has good things for you and says good things about you as well.